Our Father, we do rejoice in you today. We thank you, our Lord, for the word of God and the privilege of being able to study the word of God. And we pray that you would help us. As the hymn was just sung, we need you every hour. And we need you now as we seek to teach the word of God and hear the word of God and apply it to our lives. But we pray that the Spirit of God would illuminate our hearts and our minds and help us, Lord, to understand your truth. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. A few months ago, I preached a sermon out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it was entitled, Jars. And my original intent was to preach a sermon on the metaphors that the Apostle Paul used in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. And I was rather ambitious in thinking that I could cover more than one metaphor in one sermon. So at the end of that sermon, I promised that we would revisit the metaphors that Paul used in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Let me set some background before we dig into the Scripture. Paul was writing to the Corinthians. Many of you may know that there are two books in the Bible that are written to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to address some doctrinal errors and practices in the church that were not consistent with the Word of God. There were issues of jealousy and strife that caused division within the church, and the fellowship had been fractured by these rival parties. People were running around saying, I am of Greg, I am of Jason, I am of Steve. And Paul was writing to address that. There was also sexual immorality in the church, the kind that would not even be spoken of by pagans. A man had his father's wife, and the Corinthians were arrogant about it, and Paul wrote to address that. There were also petty disagreements within the church. Christians were taking other Christians to court in front of unbelievers. And Paul wrote to address that as well. They also had poor conduct in the worship services, particularly when they celebrated the Lord's Supper. They were selfish and disorderly. There was a general lack of love in the church in Corinthians. And Paul wrote a famous chapter that we use a lot at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13. He wrote that not for weddings. He wrote it because there was difficulty in the church, and he wanted to address that. And the last thing that he wrote to them about was they had questions about the resurrection. So Paul writes to them to address their questions about the resurrection. Paul sends him that letter, and he gets word back that the Corinthians had responded and many ways, favorably to his letter. But he also got news that false teachers had crept into the church there at Corinth. False teachers that were teaching heresy and doctrines of demons. And these false teachers, in order to make themselves more credible, they went about a campaign to discredit the Apostle Paul. They wanted to discredit his integrity and his ministry. Their goal was to stop the true message of the gospel. So not only did they attack Paul in that way, they attacked him physically as well. 
They even criticized his preaching and his appearance. So in the midst of all of this, the Apostle Paul writes a second letter to the Corinthians. And his purpose for writing that letter was primarily to defend his apostleship. These super apostles, these false apostles, had infiltrated the church. Now, when I preached the last time, we talked about jars. The fact that we are clay jars that house the message and the treasure of the gospel. And Paul wrote that he had been put in the ministry by the mercy of God. And he concludes chapter 4 with verse 16 with these words. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So here's our outline for today. And I'm giving you an outline in the form of an owner's manual. The manufacturer has outlined the following for us. The manufacturer has given us a limited warranty. The manufacturer has given us ways to troubleshoot problems with your tent. And finally, the manufacturer gives you some instructions on how to maintain your tent. I want to begin chapter 5 by asking you a question. It's a why question. And this question is meant to challenge me and to challenge you and to cause us to think about this passage of Scripture. And my question is simply this. Why should you listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10? I want you to pretend that this is the only portion of Scripture that you have. That's not far-fetched because Christians throughout history have been limited in the amount of Scripture that they have. Even today, there are Christians that would long to have the Bible that we have, but they only have a small portion. So why should you listen? Reason number one is this. This passage is about death, a universal fact of life. You're saying, Stan, this is a great topic to talk about today, death. But the Apostle Paul is telling us how to die without fear, how to die with confidence. And if you're a child of God, the passage is also telling you how to live your life today, tomorrow, and the rest of the days that you live upon the earth. If you're here and you're not a believer and you're investigating Christianity, you're looking into it, then you should listen to this passage because it is also about death, but it's also more than about death. It's about eternal life and how you can have eternal life. It's also about judgment. There's a day of judgment coming. Well, let's begin with point number one the manufacturer's warranty. When I go to purchase a product, I usually do some investigating. I usually 
look at the manufacturer, see what they offer, see what their reputation is, and see whether or not I can trust them and I can trust their product. Well, the Apostle Paul begins 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with three very important words. For we know. For we know. And the word there means that there is a knowledge, there is an understanding, there is a perception of a fact. And we find that the Apostle Paul uses this or these word combinations throughout the New Testament. In Romans 7.14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, soul under sin. In Romans 8.22, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And in a famous verse that many of you are familiar with is Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And the idea behind those words is that this is special knowledge that God has revealed to the Apostle Paul to be revealed to his children. John Calvin says, and I agree with him, this type of knowledge does not spring from human intellect. Paul just didn't come up with this. Paul was given this via the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's how he got it. And this type of knowledge should be a powerful thing in the life of a Christian and can be a powerful thing in the life of a Christian. So as we go through this, I want you to think this way when you see those three words, for we know. I want you to stick your name in there for Stan knows, for Laura knows, Howard knows. You know, because God, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, has given you something that is certain, something that is sure, something that has been revealed by God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of the Hebrews talks about Abraham and the promises that God had given to Abraham. And we're investigating whether or not we can trust this manufacturer. And in Hebrews 6, 17 through 19, the writer says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. That by two unchangeable, the King James says immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And he also goes on to say, in verse 19, we have this one, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of 
Melchizedek. So the we know of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, is meant to give us a steadfast anchor for our souls. And we have to remember that when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he was under constant attack. The Gentiles were after him. His own countrymen were after him. Hostility and anger and persecution had grown to the point where the Apostle Paul's life was in jeopardy every single day. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life. Life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril as he will deliver us. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, he's writing to address the super apostles, those apostles that elevated themselves to a level of authority in the Corinth church. And Paul writes in hyperbole to debunk all that they were saying about themselves. And Paul writes, are they servants of Christ? I am more. I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. With that background, the Apostle Paul begins to tell us the things that we know. And the things that we know should be an anchor for our soul. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think the Apostle Paul is qualified to tell us anything? Hmm? He is. You think we should listen to what he has to say about death? And about life, I think we should. Well, let's jump into the we know. Paul says, we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed. Paul uses a metaphor to describe our bodies. This body houses a soul. This body protects the soul while it's here upon the earth. But this body will be destroyed. This body will break down. When I think of tents, something comes to mind. 
What comes to mind when you think of tents? Camping, camping. How many of you like to camp? Good. Early on in our marriage, some close friends invited us to go camping with them in Western Maryland. I thought it was a pretty good idea. My wife was suspect, but she said, I'll do anything once. So we went camping. We had a good time during the day, hiking, singing hymns and praise songs and enjoying God's creation. But the deeper we got into the day, my wife realized there's no amenities out here. There's no place to go to the bathroom out here. And I said, well, dear, you got to go find a tree. And here's a shovel. Our friends were well equipped. They said, here's a shovel. And whatever comes out, you bury. And at that point, I wish that the Apostle Paul had written me a letter saying, for we know, if you take your wife camping, you will be destroyed. But... (laughs) And all joking aside, I'm making a point. My wife longed to be home. She wanted to be home where there were amenities, or at least at a hotel that had amenities. And the point that Paul's making here with this metaphor is to highlight the fact that this place is a temporary existence for us. It is a temporary home. There is no permanent security here upon the earth. This tabernacle that God has given to me and to you will be destroyed unless the Lord comes back prior to that. That's the one caveat. But other than that, your tent will be destroyed. This body will be broken down. Listen to Ecclesiastes 12, 3, and 4. Solomon writes, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim. That's a picture of what happens when the body starts to break down. The keepers of the house are the arms. My arms aren't as strong as they used to be when I was 25. The strong men are the legs. And again, my legs aren't as strong as they used to be when I was 25, 30, or even 10 years ago. And the grinders, my teeth. Thank God for Dennis, I still have most of my teeth. But when you get older, they they go away and then... The last thing he says, the windows, the eyes, the sight begins to go. And the longer we live upon the earth, the more these bodies will break down. We will be dismantled just like a tent. So we know, unless the Lord comes back, this body will be destroyed. It will be dismantled. The second thing that we know is this. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And here the Apostle Paul is telling you 
if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's going to move you out of your current neighborhood into an exclusive neighborhood. And here you definitely want to stick your name right there. Stan has a building from God. Greg has a building from God. Joanne has a building from God. We're going to leave this temporary, flimsy, decaying, weak, insecure, and fragile tent for a building proceeding from God, a building that will not be contaminated by human corruption or sin. And that's hard to imagine, living in a place like that. But that's what Paul tells us. We know. We know. God is going to give us a forever house, a house that never needs to be prepared or repaired. Because we seek a country. In Hebrews, it tells us, Hebrews eleven sixteen. but as it is, speaking of Christians, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Jesus said that he would go away and he would prepare a place for us. And the most amazing thing about this building of God that is prepared for us in heaven is is this thing. As I thought about this, this was really what amazed me about it that God put on a tent and he came to this earth and lived upon this earth in order that you and I might have a home in heaven. He shed his blood. He gave his life so that we could be saved. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he come? Why would he leave heaven's glory? Why would he leave the mansion of heaven and come down to this earth and live among us? Well, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, he says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus came because he loved us. He came and gave his life because he came to serve us. He came to give us an avenue to heaven. This warranty, we've been doing a lot of work in our home and we've been buying a lot of appliances. And one of the things that you have to do with your appliances if you want the warranty to be valid is to register your appliance with the manufacturer. Now, we have seen that the manufacturer, in this case God, is reputable. We can count on him. We can trust him in what he has told us. These we knows are things that we can bank upon. 
things that we can trust. And the question we have to ask ourselves, have, have I registered my tent? Have you registered your tent? And the Bible says, to as many as receive him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. There's a book in heaven where God writes down the name of those that have registered their tents. And that book is called the book of life. And if you're here today and you have not registered your tent, talk to me afterwards. Because Christ came and he gave his life in order that you might have eternal life. Our forever house. If you want to have that forever house, register the tent. Now, bullet point number two is this. How do you trouble tent pro- troubleshoot tent problems? How do you troubleshoot tent problems? In verses 2 to 6, the Apostle Paul talks about us groaning. We groan. That word means we sigh. We groan within ourselves with grief and sorrow. And Paul says, for in these tents we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Why do we groan? Why? Why do we groan? We groan because there is trouble in life. Trouble comes. Job says, but man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job also said in Job 14.1, man who is born of a woman is few of days. And get this, he says, and full of trouble. Jesus said, I say these things to you in John 16, 33, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus tells us, yes, there's going to be tribulation. I've overcome the world, but while you are here living in this tent, you will experience tribulation. And tribulation comes in all kinds of forms. Trouble comes. Trouble comes physically. There are those in our midst that are suffering physically. There are those that have been attacked in violence in this world. There are those that have gotten old. Accidents. Emotionally, there are troubles that come. There are relationships that are broken. There is the stress of life. There's trouble. There's desires that we have, and we wait upon God to fulfill those desires, but we are anxious. There's financial trouble, loss of income, the burden of medical bills, living in a sin-sick world. Aren't there times when you are just 
groaning within yourself when you see some of the things and the images that happen in this world? You groan. You sigh. We've had some pretty bad events that happen in in our world. I remember when 9-11 happened years ago. It made you sick to your stomach. Made you cry. Trouble, it will come. And we have to expect trouble. And what does God tell us about trouble when it comes? Well, he tells us that he who has prepared us this tent for this very thing is God. You are prepared for the troubles that will come your way. Now, it may not feel like it as you're going through the trouble, but God says, I have prepared this tent for trouble. I have prepared you. It is no coincidence that the events that have entered your life had entered there because I, God, have prepared you for it. Every event that you face in life, God has prepared you for it. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe the God who says he cannot lie? We know. We know. Trouble comes and it tempts us to doubt God. I'm not saying it's easy. But God says, I have prepared you for it. Listen to Paul as he wrote to the Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God says, I have prepared you for this. And I'm going to give you some evidence that I have prepared you for this. And the evidence that he has given us is that he has given a down payment, and that down payment is the Holy Spirit. Guarantee. The word means money which in purchases is given as a pledge or down payment that the amount will subsequently be paid. So God has put a down payment on you, your tent. And he has guaranteed that he will fulfill his warranty. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus. He is to point us to the author and finisher of our faith. So in times of trouble, he's going to point us to Jesus. He's going to point us to the word of God. He will give us wisdom. He will give us comfort. He will give us peace. He will illuminate our minds so that we can understand the word of God and apply it to our lives when we go through the troubles we face in this life. And we just have to make sure that we don't quench or grieve the spirit of God. 
And God, he will supply us with everything that we need as we live here upon the earth. So when trouble comes, what do you do? You wait for the Holy Spirit. You even pray to the Spirit of God that he would help you. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, what is he to do? He is to pray. He is to ask God for wisdom, and wisdom will be given to him. God will not hold it back. He'll give you a ton of it so that you can live through the troubles that come your way. So we've seen the warranty. We've seen what God wants us to do when trouble comes. Now let's talk about how do we maintain the tent. Manufacturer gives us a couple of things that we can do to maintain our tents. I don't have enough time to go into it in detail. Paul tells us two things in verses 6 to 9. Paul tells us to always be of good courage. It means to be bold to be confident, to be of good cheer. And he wants us to be bold and confident because our confidence must be in God. We are not to let tribulation that comes our way cause us to shrink back. We have to keep going forward. And what Paul tells us to do when that happens is we have to walk by faith. You want to maintain the tent, you got to walk by faith. We can't see what's before us, but we must trust the God that has given us a promise that he will be with us always, even until the end of time. You want to maintain the tent, you got to walk by faith. Walking by faith means I'm going to pay attention to the instruction manual. I'm going to do what the manufacturer says do, even though I may not understand it as I go through the trouble that I'm going through. I'm going to walk by faith. The second thing that the manufacturer says is that you have to have a focus. You have to have an aim. You have to follow the book. Paul says, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Is that your aim today? Is that what you want to do? Be pleasing to God? That's what life is about. Everything that we do should be to please God. Whether I eat, whether I drink, whatever it is that I'm doing, I do it to please the God who made me. Pleasing him. We have a warranty. We have troubleshooting. And finally, the two things that we need to do to maintain the tent that God has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for what the Apostle Paul has outlined for us. We thank you that we can trust you, that you are a God 
that cannot lie and the things that you tell us, they are true. We pray that you would help us to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray that you would help us to make it our aim to be pleasing to you in everything that we do. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came, that he gave his life in order that we could be set free. We pray for those that may be here that don't know you. We ask, dear Lord, that you would be at work in their lives and in their hearts. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Christ our Lord.